The worst part is I don't know when society will reestablish itself enough that I can go over to your house and fucking punch you in the face. <laughs> I think if you wear masks and gloves, it can happen anytime. Yeah, I'll just I'll just surround wrap myself and then show up on your doorstep. Like, come on, motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, brain farted. What? what? The, fi- the five of the ten. We have done this 89 times, Sam. I'm sorry, I got distracted. <laughs> There's a butterfly I... flying around outside. I got distracted in literally the five seconds between claps, and I forgot to do the second clap. All right, all right. So, you ready? <clears throat> Are you? Uh, probably not, but I mean, I'm not going to be more ready than now, so let's do it. Welcome to Brokazatsu, two brothers exploration of tokazatsu shows and related media. My name's Sam. And I'm Harry. And I have a very clear apology uh, this time. I'm sorry for the episode being like uh, three days late this time. It's fine, Harry. It's fine. It was, you know, one of our longer ones, you know. Definitely harder to edit than any of the previous ones. No, no uh, that's not the episode I'm talking about. Like, do no. you not remember oh, we did an episode? Oh, I know, Harry. I-, I listened to it this week. One of those hits, one of the five hits that we get for our podcast, it was me. It was me. Here's the problem, Sam. You remember so little about the show. I'm not sure if you're doing a bit or if you don't realize that I'm apologizing for the episode after the long solo one is the... But was that one, did it end up being a long one? Uh, it was about an, it was about regular length, and as far as our show has a regular length, okay. which is to say, you know, within was it one quartile or something of the center line? Sure. What's what's the math word I'm looking for? It's like imagine a bell curve, and then it's broken down. Standard into deviations. Se- yes, one standard deviation off of the uh, off of the center. Okay. Uh... <laughs> this is weird, complicated math going on. Basically, I'm busy. I'm sorry because like hey, I got roped into doing some some surprise programming work that like I was working really hard on, and then I remembered this is this is for a weird volunteer thing that I'm not even really getting paid for. So I, I now I'm taking it a little easier. I'm still working hard on it. Like I'll still get it done in time, but I I, I realized like hey maybe the deadlines are kind of at my own thing, and also you know uh, I don't know. I, I was cocky last time because I released the episode early than three days late. I guess the thing now is that I'll never release them one episode late, one day late, but maybe I'll just wait like half a week then if I ever miss that mark. So, look, <laughs> planning is going out the window very soon. For example, we're starting off with RPM this week. Yes, it's it's all different. It's all chaos. Everything is changed. Everything goes to dust in the end. <laughs> that can become the byline of this podcast. <laughs> Welcome to Brokazatsu. You two shall be dust. <laughs> uh, so, so, Power Rangers. Yeah, episode, episode uh, 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 is this 11 or 12? Uh, it is 12. 
my god, I wrote that down. Hey, I'm ahead of you for once. Harry, what is happening? <laughs> I don't know. The, the world is upside down. It's almost like we're in a dream, like at the start of episode 12. Yes, so we start uh, focused hard on Ranger Black. He is walking around as though he is in some sort of fugue state, though we quickly realize it is because he is in a dream. Yeah. Uh, so we get a little bit of Black backstory in this episode. Yeah. He's uh, wandering around, then he kind of sees himself, but in a lab coat, and his hair is also shorter. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, he's he turns and says, who am I? I can't remember. Did, doesn't he, like, turn to himself or something? Like, another copy of himself? Like well, it. He, he becomes the version of the lab coat. And there is a second person there. His missing... Did we get confirmation that it's like his sister that he's looking for? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure if I should have told you that, but I did mention it in a previous episode. It is his sister. Okay, and it's also a brunette with like a little bit longer than shoulder length hair, whose face we do not see. It's Tanai, isn't it? Maybe. I'm definitely not going to reveal that this early, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the show is confirming, even though it's not confirming, uh, that Tanaya is Black's sister. Which, I mean, if they were both humans experiment, well, I mean, the Vegic said that they created Tanaya, but it's kind of obvious that she's a human with modifications like him. Yeah, I mean, in this episode, she needs to sleep. Yeah, she's absolutely a human. (laughs) So, okay, okay, so Tanaya is Black's sister, and we figured it out. But the important bit at the bat- at the end of the dream is that he uh, remembers kind of being in a facility with his mysterious sister, who, who is Tanaya, uh, and a robot comes up and says, oh, Master Fenjix, I'll erase this uh, subject's memory. Uh, so now we know why Black has lost all his memories. It was it was a Fenjix sucking them all out for some reason, probably to reprogram him to make him think that he is a robot that Fenjix created, like Tanaya. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, the, the writing of the show is well-constructed. It's just kind of strew blood, which is why we're doing this first now. For for example, in this episode, it's basically like three long fight sequences. Like, the first one uh, is so inconsequential. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Like, uh, there's a lot of monsters of the week to be describing. Uh, but after, after the extended dream sequence... Uh, uh, Black and everyone wakes up. There is a brief on a threat from Dr. Light. And as they are running towards their vehicles, for some reason, uh, Yellow is asking Black if he slept well and if he had any good dreams. Like, just kind of out of nowhere. Uh, th- there's there's flirting going on here. That's some weird flirting. Okay, I, I think also they're living in a small space and I, I, I suspect that they kind of notice that he's having weird, like, plot-relevant nightmares, and they're like, hey, you know, open up about the plot. You're cl- you're the arc-important guy here. You have the backstory. So what you're saying is he's, like, actually having off-camera night tears, where he's just screaming, who am I? Who is this brunette in front of me that we cannot see, but who is clearly Tanaya? <laughs> Probably. So, uh, the monster that they are being sent off to fight, it is an Old West Gatling gun with Waluigi's face underneath it. <laughs> It's a, there's a lot of red copper silvers. It's a pretty good color palette. And man, that, that is straight up Waluigi's face. Just imagine Waluigi underneath like the Gatling gun at the end of the Wild Bunch. And that's it. That's the monster of the week. Yeah. Uh, And they're fighting him. But at the same time, there's another weird signal 
kind of going through the sewers in the city, and it's sending out some kind of energy field that's disrupting the shields. So more robots are getting in. This is becoming kind of a crisis. Yeah, so the Vengex, they uh, kind of decide to stop fucking around and just boss rush these fuckers. His plan, as he tells Tanaya, who's just kind of sitting off inside in their evil center, is I'm just going to disrupt the shields and send in more and more attack bots until they get tired like humans, you know? Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, why haven't they been doing this all along, you know? But hey, we'll, we'll let it slide. It's a children's show. I think this robot guy who can disrupt shields, I mean, there's ways you can get around it, but this guy is, I don't know, hard to replicate. But I mean, why, why don't they, why don't they just send, like, a boss every, like, five minutes? Well, they, they, I mean, the shields are up, so maybe they are. Maybe they're constantly bouncing off like a fly swatter, but now they're just getting through. Is this like Pacific Rim, where, like, the time period between the bosses entering the city is getting shorter and shorter, and this is, like, the first double entry that they've seen? <laughs> My god, it's a double event. Soon there'll be a triple. Then they'll come through every hour until they're coming through every five minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, the Rangers, they beat up the Gatling gun. Uh, for some reason, like, the Gatling gun monster does more damage by spraying this random white liquid out of its hands than from its actual head Gatling gun, but let's not get into the symbolism there. And uh, then the Rangers, they are sent to track this uh, second signal... Uh, but then the second monster of the week uh, is thrown in. And where is my description? Oh, yeah. So this one, it looks like an orc squig combined with a fire burning, uh, like a wood burning stovetop. It is adorable. It is absolutely adorable. And it has a blue and red color palette. Can you describe an orc squig for people who aren't familiar with Games Workshop's line of products? No, but I will try. Uh, imagine like a an English bulldog but rounder, more leather, and happier. Uh, yeah, and they fight, like, I, I'm i not sure if they even do the full mech kill on this one. They did for the first guy. No, but... they only do the mech kill, I believe. Uh, no, they do they do two mech kills in this episode, but they're extremely abbreviated. Yeah. Oh, oh and it's, it's just kind of an interesting thing to note, but you can tell by the guy who does the big finisher at the end that this was, that uh, gun guy was a blue focus episode. And Squigpot was a green focus episode. Like, there's a lot of good, you know, character beats. And, you know, we're sliding by them because they're in the middle of the fight. But there's green being adorable. There's blue remembering that he can stop time for a couple of minutes before he forgets it again. Yeah. I, I may be becoming worried that's a little hard to cover this show because it's just, you know, well-written streamlined action. We're having the Garo problem, Sam. I gotta be honest. This show was a lot more entertaining to watch than I thought it was going to be. Like, the action is actually pretty good. No, yeah, it's it's just, it's it's competent that we can't talk about it. So there's another monster attacking a different part of the city. And at this point, Dylan says, hey, uh, Scott Summer and uh, Flynn is Flynn's? Yeah, Flynn's the third one. Uh, you guys go and deal with the robot. Me and Ziggy will actually deal with the weird signal so that we can stop the shields coming down. Uh, sadly, we never see uh, the monster... Uh, that's uh, red, uh, blue, and yellow go and fight, but we do get to see the one that black and green go to encounter. And this one, oh man, Harry, this is a satellite dish. Like, it is a walking, like, direct TV satellite dish. And it is so, so non-threatening. Like, the face on this monster, it's on, like, the extended part of the antenna, like, up front. Like, they went out of its way 
for this monster's face to be in a more punchable position. Like, the face is, like, the closest part of this monster. Like, you could just reach out and just, like, right in the nose. Just bap it right in the nose. And fair enough, Dylan shows up and he's kind of manhandling it even untransformed. But then he stops because he recognizes this is the robot from his dreams. Uh, yes, the uh, DirecTV satellite, it turns to Dylan and says, My, my, your modifications are incomplete, but I can fix that. I have your memories. Ha ha ha. Yeah, and then it does a little light show thing of his dream. Yes, very convenient timing for that dream. Uh, weird that he has, like, the specific imagery. But anyway, uh, Dylan, he fights some more, and he, he's clearly outclassing this thing. But then says, wait a minute, if you kill me, then you'll never get your memories back. It's one of those. Yeah, we get a little bit of an awkward uh, uh, sequence where Black is kind of trying to stop the rest of the rangers from fighting the satellite dish. Uh, and uh, Dr. Light has to intervene a couple times and just shut down Dylan, just lock up his power armor in the middle of a fight, which seems like a real dick move. Yeah, there's some good beats here. Like, there, I one thing I don't want to skip past is that, uh, like, Dylan, when he's distracted the first time, the monster just throws him off a building and says, thanks for the memories. But uh, Ziggy, the cowardly dude, just straight up jumps off the building and uh, freaks out when he catches Dylan, but still teleports them to safety. Uh, yeah, so uh, Green is getting a whole lot more competent with that teleporting. Like, Black turns to him, I don't know how you did that. Green turns back and says, me neither. Yeah, they... They lost the angular momentum of going towards the ground that somehow it works. Yeah, I mean, let's just not think a whole lot about, like, the preservation of mass and energy and, like, how gravity plays into teleportation, because, man, that gets to be a shit show real fast. And one of them could, time, could like, stop time, so it's, you know, there's worse problems here. <laughs> so Dylan, he stops the team from killing the robot uh, until he doesn't. <laughs> That's really the only way to describe his arc here. Yeah, they, they're packing a lot into this episode. It's a 22-minute episode. So, like, he realized that this monster has his memories at, like, maybe the 16-minute mark. So he really needs to have the whole turn and revelation within about a three-minute period. It takes him 60 seconds, more or less, to decide, Esker it, I, I got new memories. I'll We'll just kill you. Yeah, they kill the satellite, and they go back into uh, the lab. Tanaya, uh, she has been complaining this entire episode about needing to sleep, emphasizing how human she is and not a robot, because we now know that she is Dylan's sister. Uh, and every, back at the ranger base, everyone's laughing, oh, everyone's laughing and smiling and stuff. It, it's fun, you know, just the post-mission giggles. And, uh, you know, Summer's just doing some scanning of Dylan as a matter of course. And Dr. K uh, has some news. Yeah, it turns out that uh, Ranger Black has a incurable virus. He is going to die. Well, not just die, like, uh, so the, the satellite bot, what, maybe this was the real plan all along, uh, when it got close to Dylan, it sent a virus into his robot parts that caused them to slowly start growing within him and converting him more and more into a robot. Then at some point, he's just going to become a uh, Vengex drone. Uh, that some point is next episode. Because <laughs> this show doesn't fuck around and they just... Keep going forward. On the subject of going fast and forward, uh, the episode begins with a Fast and Furious sequence where Ranger Red and Ranger Black are racing on a beach uh, with their souped-up cars. Like, Black with his Mad Max car, and Red with his Fast and Furious, like, uh, red, uh, yeah, red car. The import. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, Ziggy, again, being kind of shitty, saying like, oh, Summer, you may not understand this male bonding, but Summer kind of interrupts a bit saying, oh, no, the, the saltwater's going to throw off Scott's uh, air, air ratio. So uh, they're racing and racing and racing, and then they both suddenly break and uh, come to a complete stop on the beach, because it turns out that Tanaya is there with the Monster of the Week, uh, who is kind of hiding behind. Uh, we see, so the Monster of the Week this time, it is a metal monkey face on a Tesla sparker uh, thing. With There's a lot of levers and grinders on it. It's kind of a non-specific, busy design. I didn't really like it. Like, it's bright. At least it's bright. But it's kind of, it's really hard to describe. It's like, a, it's a transformer with a sparker and grinders and a monkey's face. And that's, it's as confused as that sounded. Uh, but And there's like a long in-person fight. Uh, and Tanaya seemingly gets uh, beaten away by Dylan. But as Dylan gets in his car, there's a blinky thing on his neck. Because that was the real plan. Very big, very blinky. Um, kind of surprised he didn't notice that and no one else noticed that. But hey, hey, they needed to be big and blinky because this is the, what, middle aughts? So LEDs were pretty big back then. No, they weren't. They're the same size that they are today. Uh, well, I mean, I think as soon as it was on him, maybe he was not noticing th things much anymore, because what it's doing is kind of accelerating his virus and putting him directly under Vengeance's control. So this whole starting sequence, this was like, this was a third of the episode. Like, we are past the six-minute mark of this episode. Yeah. Uh, we go to the base, where Summer is just sitting by herself, kind of looking at pictures of Scott and Dylan. And Dr. K comes in and says, yeah, you're in a weird love triangle, huh? Must suck for you. Uh, so Dr. Light, she gives uh, she gives some wisdom. She says that, you know, hey, Summer needs to decide which one she really likes. Uh, she herself has analyzed both boys extensively and has rated one a nine and one a ten. Yeah. And Summer says, well, which one's a ten? And Dr. K says, which one do you think is the ten? And it's at this point that we get the notice that the city's shields are all being shut down from inside Dr. Light's lab. And as a security from a security standpoint, why the fuck would you have a single point where you can deactivate the entire shields around a city? Uh, Especially well, uh, in a location that has been infiltrated and invaded every other episode. Yeah, true. Well, that, then again, it, like the city guards keep getting killed, so maybe there's not enough people trained left to maintain them. That's why you have like a two key scenario, like, you know. The shields should be up 100% of the time, and to shut them down, you have to have, like, you know, two guys with keys across the city turning them at the same time. I'm not saying it, like, makes total sense, but it's not the craziest design decision I've ever seen. Especially because this is a apocalypse scenario, and I'm sure the whole system is thrown together. Because, as we've decided on this show, <laughs> the whole energy shield was just a money laundering scheme by the criminal mobs that are now the city militia. <laughs> yes. Headcanon accepted. Uh, so everyone is fist fighting, and uh, for some reason, uh, Black Ranger is not ripping them apart, even though he's not transformed and they're not transformed. Uh, the show appears to have forgotten that Ranger Black is, you know, a super strong super soldier who is able to uh, trivially, like, just push up with a giant boulder on his back. Well, I mean, every time he hits them, they, like, fly across the room, but then he gets back to destroying the shield. So I think the thing is that he's just got the command to power down the shields, and as soon as the other rangers aren't directly in his way, he stops caring about them. Yeah, fair enough. 
Uh, but yeah, they notice the giant sensor on his neck, and uh, one of them gets it off and throws it across the room, and he snaps back to reality. Oh yeah, Summer does a bottle cap challenge kick on the sensor thing. So, uh, after Black Ranger uh, wakes up, we come back from commercial, and he is strapped to a chair with uh, iron restraints. Uh, he kind of mugs to Dr. Light, you gotta tell me this is for my protection? And Dr. Light laughs and says, hardly, it's for us. Yeah, you could kill us, man. We're not joking around here. So they're talking about uh, his infection. It is, of course, accelerated. Uh, between uh, the last two episodes, it's getting real bad real fast. And they're running out of time. Yeah, uh, it's it's going 50 times faster. And to stop it, well, th- there's a weird program thing in him that was added by the lightning bot. And they don't have what they need to shut it down. So uh, they need to get the lightning bot, but it's it's left the city. Uh, Green comes up with the idea that if they lower the shields again, then the Vengex will think that Dylan reactivated. He completed his transformation, and so that they so they can attack. You're telling us to risk the entire city and the future of the human race for one person. And Summer just kind of leans in, grabs the key away from her, and says, "Yeah, Dylan. His name is Dylan." And Dr. K just says, oh, well, I guess we figured out what uh, what your number 10 is, huh? <laughs> yep. So everyone is on board with this plan, except for Ranger Black, uh, who tries to flee the city. But then Ranger Red handcuffs himself to Black to ensure that he doesn't leave. Uh, being kind of overdramatic, like Black, he was going to go after him in his car, but uh, Dylan drained out his gas tank. So instead he puts on the big, uh, a, a big comedy chain. By the way, these shades, like, uh, these are not prison handcuffs. These are padded sex handcuffs, just so we're absolutely clear with where the prop department went to get these. But by the objects that are in the garage, we're starting to get a, a weird view of what Scott does in his off time. And, you know, good for him. Isn't this Dr. Light's lab? Well, I mean, I think they live here. A little unclear on that. It turns out that's the chains are going to stay on because... Uh, Scott th- thought that they still had a backup key, but no, that was the backup key. Ziggy swallowed the real one during an impromptu magic show for children the other day. We are then greeted to a extended comedy sequence where we get to see Black Ranger and Red Ranger living life together, handcuffed together, and uh, just big best of friends and antagonizing at the same time. Yeah. Um, quick mental note. They are in, they are in a mad scientist lab. Who could fabricate a key for this in about two seconds? Just, just point that out. Just, just point that out. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this kind of falls apart when you think about it because also later on when they decide to just get out of the chain, they pre- they, they pretty just much transform just do... and get out of the chain. Like that's all it takes. Yeah, they're they're basically just messing around here, as you can tell, because Scott is really just enjoying uh, fucking up Dylan's everything. The, the plan works, like lowering the shields, it causes the Vendrix to attack, and uh, Black and Red have to be left behind because they're at this point still handcuffed together, and the writing dictates that they cannot realize that they could just snap them yet. Uh, Greed, when he is running away, says that he is going to, I'm going to come back with the circuit board or not at all. He then comes back two seconds later, actually scratch that, that was a bit too dramatic, I'm going to try really, really hard to get that circuit board, and if I don't, egg on my face. Uh, and then they get into the fight. They, the monk, lightning monkey bot is here. Uh, Ziggy gets in and goes in for the hit, but he's like, "Wait, we need the circuit board. Um, do I, 
Do I hit him in the knee or the foot or something? Or I mean, that's another thing that breaks later on in the episode because they do kill this robot and make it big again, right? And then they get the circuit thing. So it, did they just put it like a giant circuit board into Dylan? Uh, well, the circuit board that Summer gets at, I mean, okay, so they fight, it gets big, they kill it, they get a circuit board uh, done. Um, the circuit board that Summer pulls out of, the, like, the giant corpse is teeny tiny. It's like, it's the size of, you know, a stick of RAM that you would put into a computer, which is probably what it was from a prop department. Uh, so one would have to assume that it would be, like, near microscopic. It would be, it would be like a grade of sand. Uh, when this thing was not enlarged. Um, maybe it's like when you kill it, it starts shrinking back down again. Maybe, but oh, also worth noting, the Rangers uh, during this fight, they have new rifles that are steering wheels and, and they're, they're pretty much just like a steering column. Like, you know, they got the wheel on the top and uh, they they look really silly. I, I think they used them in the Megazord earlier to, like, fire the gun. Yeah, this is the first time that I have seen them use them on foot, and, uh, yeah, they look real dumb, so kind of hope it's one of the last times. I'm sure they'll have other toys to replace them. So they get back to the base, and they're doing as much science as fast as they can. Uh, Dylan's pacing and nervous, but then he grabs his head and starts turning evil again. Yep, it's not happening fast enough, and so he he turns and starts fist-fighting everyone. At which point, Dr. Light, she just kind of closed her eyes. She sighs. Well, uh, specifically, Scott was looking at the circuit board and being, okay, this isn't enough to in, to decrypt the program. We would need the base code of the Vengex virus. That That's only available for the person who made it. Dr. Light, she types in the base program because she was the one who made it. And she admits it. Like, she, after, after Dylan is saved... She tells everyone in the room, like, hey, guys, uh, so I did that. I saved Dylan. By the way, I'm responsible for literally everything that's happening. It's all her fault. So, Harry, uh, that's where we're stopping for RPM this week. Is next week, like, the trial of Dr. Light? Uh. Is she singing about how she worked the mines till the day, or her father worked the mines till the day he took his life? <laughs> stole him from his only uh... son, stole him from his wife? Did <laughs> she... And she swore that she would make things right. Mm -hmm. With hands of iron! Hands of iron! Alright, so one of the next things we'll be covering is the protobin. Anyway. <laughs> uh, uh, so yeah, that, that's RPM. And uh, next week we're, I think it's actually like a two-parter next week, or maybe part of like a three-part or something. Uh, uh, so it's a long trial. No, it's uh, they actually go in a bit of a different direction because, uh, like, I think she kind of explains the circumstances and, like... Some people on the team are definitely more angry about this than others, but also they're not telling the military guys yet because they don't, because, you know, they don't want her to get executed. <laughs> uh, probably a good call. Speaking of getting executed. Common Rider Zero One. Oh, man. Yeah, so uh, let's dive into it. So, turns out, like, uh, as you recall, last time on Common Rider Zero One, uh, it ended in very dramatic fashion. 
uh, with uh, Hirobe and someone who looked like Jin uh, standing on top of the uh, uh, the was it the dam uh, that's leading it to Daybreak City, the destroyed Daybreak City that they always fight next to. And uh, they just stolen the memory chip for the uh, human gear, like the last member of Metsubo Jinrai. As the episode begins, uh, it turns out that it actually was Jin, and all our speculation at the end of the previous episode was for naught. They went with the most boring option. It seems like Jin is actually still just working with Hirobi, but I mean, well, it's getting complicated, because Hirobi's plan may be shifting too, I don't know. Yeah, like, the, the alliance the alliance spectrum of the show is getting really fucking weird. So, yeah, the two of them, are, they're flying away. Well, Jin tries to fly away. But then Aruto activates Metal Cluster Hopper and stops him with a swarm of nanomachine locusts. Yeah, he and then, he fucking um, catches him midair and drops him, and it's yeah. badass. Yeah, and uh, then starts creating platforms midair and sword fighting Jin. Mm-hmm. Like it, this, this fight gets real, real, real fast. Yes, uh, Aruto still very, very angry about what happened to the uh, uh, to the agriculture bot from the previous episode, and so he's about to finish off Jin. Uh, but then Hirobi just jumps right in front of the blow, like untransformed. And Aruto hesitates and checks his shot. Hirobi seems confused why he jumped in front of the blow. He says, why Why did I do that? Why did I move? And Jin sees the chance, kind of kicks Aruto and flies away. Uh, so a little bit of the daddy programming breaking through. <laughs> All right. I get what you're saying, Sai, but never say daddy programming again. <laughs> I mean, don't. Don't they call him a... Isn't he a daddy human gear? Or is it a father human gear? <laughs> you need a father. Okay, he's Less a... Less connotations. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've been listening to a lot of Daddies and Dungeons. Or Dungeons and Daddies. Which is not a BDSM <sighs> podcast. Except for the occasional episode in which it very much is. So, Arto wants to go after him. But Izu pops up at the bridge and says, Hey, uh, Mr. President. All the Zyospec users are still going berserk. Back in the lab... Uh, back at the Metsubo lab, uh, Naki is there with uh, Fua and Yua, and Naki's eyes are glowing red. She's screaming, kill all humans. Then Fua grabs her and yells about, you know, human gears and dreams, and that stops her. I guess the last thing she remembered when she got back into her body was the whole getting shot in the face thing. It, she woke up pretty angry, but then Fua says, hey, this wasn't your dream. Calm down, man. And, and, uh... She, she does? Well, uh, the, the translators use they here, so it, even though I read that she's okay with free male programs, pronouns, maybe I should move to they? I don't know. It's Gender is complicated and dumb, especially for robots. And especially when you're dealing with multiple people translating from, you know, a different language. Uh, also, uh, worth noting, Yua was in the background of while well, all this was going on, and uh, she was just chilling. You know? Like, like Naki, you know, Naki was uh, her eyes were glowing red. She was uh, hijacking every Zaya spec to eliminate humanity. And you was just going to sit there and be like, OK, I'm cool with this. Yeah, fuck you, Jack. Let's see what this does to your stock prices. <laughs> She's just off to the side smoking a cigarette. <sighs> I'm not sure if that was like a, I'm not sure if that was just a director not paying attention or if that's something that we should be reading more into. I... I like seeing you as being that spiteful. It kind of enhances her character for me. Yeah, me too. Me too. She's had a bad 20 episodes. Uh, but anyway, so, yeah, they're fine. They're fine. And uh, the we flash to the people with those aspects on the side of their heads and they stop being berserkers. And so Jack 
has to go on the airwaves for a not super effective, I'd say, PR campaign. Uh, hi, everyone. So, yes, uh, our Zaya specs were hacked by Metsubo Jinrai, but don't worry. There, there's a malicious bug is how he describes it. Don't worry. We totally fixed our firewalls. It is 100 percent, a thousand percent safe to wear Zaya specs again. And we are going to kill all of Metsubo Jinrai within the next 24 hours. Yeah, look, Metsubo Jinrai is it's just always going to be a thing. And we got to consider the economic impact of you stopping using your Zaya specs. <laughs> so just everyone just keep going. Look, we got to think about the economy. And yes, there might be incidents where random workers just get bludgeoned to death by people wearing Zaya specs. But God damn it, think about the damage that would cause without Zaya specs. Oh, oh and, and Jack isn't wearing his Zaya spec for the rest of this episode. He's probably not wearing it for the rest of the series. Anyway, uh, back at the, speaking of Metsubo Jinrai, back at their, like, uh, destroyed dam base, Herbie's kind of sitting in the corner, wrestling with the fact that he may have emotions and ideas of his own. Well, we, uh, I do want to just, uh, point this out. So, we got, like, the shot of, uh, at Jack's news conference where he was telling people to wear their aspects and that he was going to kill Metsubo Jinrai by the end of the day. It was an immediate uh, cut to Jin and Hirobi just laughing at him, saying that he was going to kill them by the end of the day. Yeah, just smirking. Whatever, dude. Uh, Fua, he wakes up at the hospital, and he sees Naki standing there. And, hey, you know, it, it's the first time they've actually met face-to-face. Yeah, they know each other pretty well, especially uh, Naki, because she has been inside uh, Fua's head for either a couple months, or several years, depending on if we ever get clarification from that from the writers. Well, the, 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 I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that the Naki part was just in there for a couple months. But uh, Naki was able to look into his brain and find his real memories and his, his whole backstory. Yes, and she is uh, happy and willing to tell him about it. And she is going to tell him absolutely everything. Cut to commercial. Aruto and Izu are at the office. Uh, they're wondering what went down with Hirobi. They're both kind of batting around theories. And, uh, like, Aruto seems to be growing more and more confident that Hirobi, his programming as a father, is breaking through. Then they get an ominous call, and it cuts back to the hospital, where we find out what happens with Fua. Uh, Naki has finished telling Fua's life story, and they sit there stunned. And Yua finally breaks out and saying, Wow, Fua, your life was really boring. <laughs> it, <laughs> so I, I guess he was just an intern or like a guy in the street. So, Harry, uh, let, let's compare translations. My translation, uh, Yua broke the silence by saying, wow, literally nothing happened. In mine, she says, what a played life. It was so normal that it was agonizingly boring. <laughs> and, and Naki pipes in and says, yes, pedestrian and tedious. <laughs> so, yeah, Fua was just... Who the fuck knows? I mean, he's like, he's early 20s, so yeah, having a boring, played, nothing happened life, that kind of tracks. Hi, I'm here for the temp job for, like, a Zyaspec development. Yes, here, put this on. <laughs> and then he's taken downstairs for surgery. <laughs> yeah, uh, but, but, but Naki does reveal one dark secret of Fua's, his terrible sense of humor. She makes a Naruto-style joke, uh, comparing the blanket that is on top of Fua to the blankness of his life. 
and Yua doesn't get it, but Fua just cracks up and falls to the floor laughing, just convulsing with humor. Oh, that, that was your version? Oh, what was In the yours? overtime one, uh, it, that one, it was Fua's futon flew away. He should have kept his foot on it. <laughs> okay, your translation is better. Yeah, overtime. Fua literally laughs so much he falls out of his hospital bed and hurts himself. And Naki kind of looks, Naki look, gives him a look that I can't exactly interpret, but it doesn't seem very happy about this. Like, I was in that guy's brain. I mean, she, she had however many months, you know, processing at, like, heightened computer speeds to come up with the worst, most painful joke possible. And it landed. Speaking of terrible decisions, Aruto runs back to the greenhouse to find out that the kid has fucking put his eye spec on again. And everyone's like, hey kid, this is not a good time to be wearing his eye spec. Yeah, and he he acknowledges it, but he says, hey, hey, our company will go down if we don't have the productivity from this thing. Like, we live in a capitalist society, and so I, as a working class citizen, am forced to make morally and physically dangerous choices in order to sustain my family. Jack said everything was okay, so we're not going to get any insurance anymore. Yes, they've cut off the social safety net. I need to put on the thing that caused me to try and kill you yesterday. I'm sorry, Father. This is the society we live in, and there is no other way. There is no better way. They say on the news that the Zyaspec users are the real heroes these days, so there's that at least. Mm -hmm. Oh boy, we're really breaking the rule of like how much we're referencing certain things, aren't we? We haven't explicitly referenced it even once. Yeah, and, and if you're another country, this may seem no nonsensical that you don't know what the hell we're talking about. So good job living in another country. Oh, Harry, America exports culture everywhere. <sighs> There's a touching moment between, like, the father and the son as they are just coming to grips with, like, the, the tragic choices that they are forced to make because of money. Uh, now, Hirobi and Jack, they are leading dueling armies into the forest. It's going to be a barnyard bash, and uh, Jack... Jack is probably going to get fucking smoked, because that's just how this always seems to play out. I mean, look, he brought a huge, huge horde of his uh, hardcore, and like, th there's like a hundred of them, hundred of his hard boys. Yes. By the way, when this ends, there's about ten left. <laughs> they, they, they got other internship jobs. <laughs> uh so, yeah, it's uh, the Mortal Kombat music starts playing and everyone throws down. <laughs> it's it's a Musou game now. There, there's just huge hordes. They fight back and forth, and it's it's good choreography. Like, you know, these guys are some of the better fighters in the series. And uh, Jack gets the upper hand. He steals uh, the Hirobe, or the Hirobe uh, uh, scorpion tail and sends it right at him. But uh, and knocks him uh, out of transformation. He sends a finisher, but then Aruto jumps in front of it. Arda says, look, this guy's kind of a dad and everything for dads, so uh, I'm going to try to believe in him. You know, he, he saved Jin, and that means something. Also, at this point, I should really be focusing on the person who's behind all of this, who created the arc, and that's fucking you, Jack. <laughs> yep. So, Hirobe and Aruto kind of team up, like, in Bond, over dreams of fatherhood. Capitalism. Still worse than evil AI is trying to exterminate humanity. <laughs> Uh, so Jack and Aruto uh, go to fight, and uh, turns out that uh, Jack actually had an ace up his sleeve. Yeah, he made some of more of those giant geeker mechs. Oh, I love these things. So they just kind of show up and just start triple teaming down on, uh, on Zero One, just kicking him back and forth like a soccer ball. He is getting the shit kicked out of him. 
Yeah, if only Aruto had some kind of upgrade that would summon a giant mech of his own. I, I miss Breaking Mammoth. You, you gotta, you gotta, you, you were useful for like one whole fucking episode. I miss you, Breaking Mammoth. Like you were useful for one episode, then you were summoned in another episode, but ineffective, and then you were forgotten about in this episode. Uh, but, but it turns out it doesn't even matter because Jack, using his unique brand of logic, is controlling these remotely through the internet. And hey, guess who's fucking part of the internet now? It's Naki. Yep. Naki shows up with her glowing red eyes. She turned off all the Geigers. She turned off all of uh, Jack's hardcore. Like, they... But, no, no she's mind-controlling them. Oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, now yeah. they... See, they turn and start fighting Jack. Jack has to, like, start killing his own dudes. Yes. Uh, Naki says that her current dream is to fulfill Hirobi's dream. So, Hirobi, like, after Jack gets uh, jumped uh, by all the minions, like, Hirobi just goes right in there and smokes Jack. Yeah, he he stabs Jack through the gut with an energy spear. Like, it, kind of the same way he kicked Fua earlier in the series. It, it seems to be mostly metaphorical because Jack gets up and isn't, like, impaled, but... Well, I got the impression, like, with Fua, he was aiming more for the neck, where with this one, it was more like a gut shot. Yeah, I mean, for, from the angle of it, really, it was through center mass, so it if it was an actual spear, then it would be affecting him more. But I don't know, powered armor stuff. But anyway, we get the moment that we all knew uh, was coming and that we've all been waiting for, where a defeated uh, Jack in his, like, burning, smoking jacket, uh, he's on the ground shouting, this is 1000% impossible, and that's, that's it, that's the line! That is exactly what we called 30 episodes ago. Uh, and then Hirobi's walking off, but Arto stops him just long enough to say, Hey, I I really do want to create a world where humans and human gears can be happy together. And Hirobi kind of smiles and says, we'll see. Yeah, and then just as a mental aside, uh, Hirobi thinks to himself that Haiden Aruto may be the human to change the fate of human gears. Hot damn. It turns out that there was a. It's really hard to kill human gears. Like, there's another backup of Midori somewhere, and they bring her back. Like, they're they're basically immortal. Well, like, no, no, like it wasn't another backup. It's so, uh, human gears, backed up. Aren't they backed up continuously with a satellite? Like adult, uh, pretty much like every thirty seconds or so. Like their uh, memories are just updated. Like the problem with the belts before was that their minds were getting corrupted, and so like backups were impossible. But ones that just died regularly were able to be restored, you know, to up to almost like the moment of death. Yeah, so they're immortal now. Good job. Unless they get a corrupted belt. Uh, but Aruto's able to fix that now. That's the point of the the uh, like the sword he gets with the Hina Metal. Yes, except for specifically Izu because she has the <laughs> she has the memories of like the secret stuff about uh, uh, the Hyden intelligence uh, past. Yeah, she has copy protection. She's weird and proprietary. Yeah, well, they need stakes somewhere. But yeah, they uh, they bring back the uh, the agricultural human gear. Uh, they drop a lettuce bun. Everyone is laughing at Aruto, and he's annoyed that he didn't get to drop the joke this time. Back at Metsubo Jinrai's base, the episode ends with them resurrecting uh, Ikazuchi, the space brother Raiden. And now that he's fully on Team Metsubo Jinrai, he has a very ridiculous... Uh, J Rocker outfits <laughs> like his shoes say Ikazuchi, <laughs> and it's you know it's just a power shot of like the four villains question mark uh, just all standing in profile and just looking like badasses. Yeah, 
The four villains who we kind of all like at this point? I don't know. Four people out to destroy humanity, but like two of them are actually seem to be okay with humanity. One of them is kind of getting there and the fourth one just woke up and I don't know, maybe he'll be, maybe they'll uh, deal with him. So there's lots of ways this show could go. But, well, <laughs> it's not going there right now. No, it's not. Uh, yeah. So, let's have a quick discussion about the future of this podcast in relation to Kamen Rider Zero One. Uh, Kamen Rider Zero One, it's going on a indefinite hiatus because you know that Toei ran out of episodes, and I don't think they've actually restarted filming this. I mean, I said some stuff about them getting back to the studio, but that may have been them doing post-production work on things, and I, I don't think they're shooting right now, so who knows, man? This is the last one they had in the can, and uh, every episode from here until they start up again is going to be it, it's going to be like a clip shows clip shows and specials. Maybe they'll... Do you think... Harry, do you think it would be possible to have, like, a, a Zoom conference call episode of a Common Rider show? I don't know. Maybe. Like, I... It would Wait, be hard. I, mean, I think it would be hard, but man, I want to see them try. I really wonder how. I mean, this is kind of breaking it up because I mean, there's not much more to talk about here. It's just there's no more zero one for a while, and we'll figure that out. But I, just so we can start rambling, how are they dealing with this with like comics and stuff? Like in Batman issues, is is Batman having to deal with like is Gotham going under quarantine or social distancing or something? Well, I mean, Batman already kind of did that back in the '90s with the Batman No Man's Land. Like, that yeah. was specifically a plague that led into an earthquake, which sounds exactly like 2020. Yeah, we're we're doing some more... We're, let, let's wait. Bye, oh, Harry, Harry, did you know that uh, uh, Pacific Rib, like, the first kaijus appeared, like, late in 2020? Mm, cool, cool. Yeah, that, I'm sure by September I'll be raiding frogs. You know, it's just a weird year. <laughs> uh, uh, but, yeah, so as far as the podcast, um... We're going to keep covering Power Rangers RPM, but then there's a big time slot that at this point I'm going to say will be whatever we want to cover that week. <laughs> yes, uh, me and Harry are going to talk between ourselves between episodes and uh, we are going to figure out exactly what we want to cover. Maybe it'll be other toku. Maybe it'll be American stuff. Maybe it'll be like, you know, Dead to Me is back on Netflix. We could watch an episode or two of that and, you know, talk about Christine Applegate and, uh, uh, the girl from Freaks and Geeks, how they're dealing with their dead husbands. Yeah, I, one idea for next week, I mean, it's something you said as a joke, but fuck it, maybe I'm going to make you do it, is there's some show called Nico Samurai, and literally the only thing I know is that it's called Nico Samurai, and the the image of it is a samurai dude holding a cute cat, and maybe we'll just do some episodes of that. Maybe we'll watch, maybe, we're talking about Pacific Rim, maybe we'll do the worst idea of all time podcast style, but for that, but it's the best idea of all time because I fucking love Pacific Rim. Yeah, it's the greatest movie ever. Um, well, Harry, like, me and Sarah have watched the first three episodes of that Samurai Cat show, and it is delightful, and it is very much a toku show. Sure, we'll watch some of that. Okay, first three episodes of what, Samurai what's it on? Cat. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Sure. Uh, so we'll watch some of that. I mean, we'll we'll keep going RPM, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's we'll, we'll do RPM, we'll do other stuff, we'll, we'll do games, we'll... We've been talking for a while, like, maybe we'll get around to some more experimental types of, types of episodes, maybe we'll do actual plays, let's plays, but Sam, there's one thing that no matter what, we're going to keep doing. What are we going to keep doing? We are going to keep dancing. 
We're going to keep dancing until all these crises are over, and then we're going to just keep going after that. Yeah. Never not dancing. 